Reichman University. Fully booked. Read into it with Michelle Amar and Liras Levy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fully Booked, the podcast where we discuss our favorite books, discover new reads, and give you a bunch of new recommendations. We are your hosts. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liraz. And today, we're going to be talking about Michelle's favorite book, If We Were Villains. By ML Rio. Yes, we're very excited for this, this discussion. I'm, I'm, I think I'm like a lot more excited about this. I think so, too. We were looking forward to this. Michelle especially. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was Liraz's first time reading If We Were Villains. How many times have you read it, Michelle? Um, five. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been doing a yearly reread ever since I first read the book back in 2018. And when we decided that we were going to do this, reading each other's favorites, this was the perfect opportunity for me to do my reread again. So this is time number five. I loved it no less. <laughs> Very important. I think I might have loved it even more. Oh, wow. Um, And yeah. All right, so before we just jump right in and talk about the book, I want to talk about what makes a favorite for both me and you. Like, yeah. what makes a book? The book we always recommend, the one we always think about. The one that never leaves your head? Exactly. Okay. Um, well, for me, I think it really just comes down to a book that I never, ever stop thinking about. And that doesn't have to be, like, a super serious, like, thought-provoking type of book. It's just a book that... Quite frankly, I loved so much that it never leaves my head, you know? And mm-hmm. it's something that I never stop thinking about. Like, I have two favorite books, and that's If We Were Villains and Persuasion by Jane Austen. And those two books, they're like, okay, it's like one day I'm thinking about this one, one day I'm thinking about that one. Like, I don't stop, like you it's know? constant. Yeah, it comes down to the writing and the characters. I think that's what makes it the most for me. Because, like, plot, I mean, like, I care about plot, but if I have to choose between a book that is just, like, a book about characters doing nothing and, like, wrecking their lives, and a book that's, like, super hot, like, plot-heavy, then I'm going to choose the one about the characters because that's what I care about most. Mm, I get that. I feel like, for me, it's pretty similar. For me, a favorite book is immediately the one that, when I finish reading it, I have to stop for a second and kind of, like, digest. You need to sit with it. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I, like, just stare at the book, and I'm like, wow, okay. Like, it just, it has this feeling that I can't, like, shake. And usually, like, it takes a couple weeks to get over this book. Like, some of my favorite books, I still think about them a lot. Like, I vividly see them in my head. Um, And usually it's when, like, the book is just, just makes me happy. Usually. Okay. Because, you know, we like books that make me happy. Yeah. Um, I think that's, for me, a favorite. Like, also, I think about it a lot. But I think, um, I agree with you about the characters. Yeah. I think if... A book doesn't have characters that I relate to or I I really enjoyed. Even if even if I'm not relating to the characters, I just need to be invested in them. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, I need to care about what's going on in their lives. Yeah. The plot can be, like, super complex. I don't give a and- shit about plot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about plot. I don't need plot. <laughs> I mean, it could add a lot to a book if it's, it's done nice. well. But characters- it's nice, but it's not a necessity for me. <laughs> characters are the important part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So... Michelle. Yes. Would you like to do the honors of giving us a brief synopsis of what If We Were Villains is about? Well, I can try. You can um, try. Let's okay. go. Okay. <laughs> so basically, this book takes place in a very secluded 
college that is solely centered around the arts. It's a conservatory school. Um, and it follows our seven main characters who are in their fourth and final year of this college. And they're all Shakespearean actors. We have um, we have Oliver Marks, who's our narrator. We have Richard, who is um, like typecast as the tyrant. Meredith, who's typecast as the temptress. Ren, who's typecast as the ingenue. James, who's typecast as the hero. Alexander, who's typecast as the villain. And Philippa, who's typecast as sort of like the odd one out. She's always taking on like the extra roles. She doesn't really fit into one box. And it starts off 10 years in the future. And Oliver has been in jail for 10 years. And we as the readers don't know why. And he's finally decided that he is going to tell the story of why he's been in jail for so long to the detective who's put him there. But he never believed that he was guilty of what he did, which we don't know what he did. And then it flashes back 10 years when all seven of them were in their final year. And we discover that the cast is putting on Julius Caesar in their school. And that's pretty much where we start off. Okay, wow. That's a, yeah. that's a big It start. pretty much starts off with... Um, it's basically a book that shows um, life imitating art or art imitating life. Yeah, I agree As they that. put on Julius Caesar, among other plays. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think the plays play a big role. Yeah, they were chosen very specifically. And speaking as somebody who loves Shakespeare, which I do, um, I loved seeing the ways that ML Rio was able to interweave Shakespeare and all of the themes that are present in the plays that she chose with the characters and their lives. Like, I think, I think it was done, obviously it was done very intentionally but I loved seeing the way that she was able to do it and I don't I mean like she's a she's a Shakespearean scholar Mm -hmm. basically I think she's got like a PhD or something yeah which like love that for her um but yeah like I mean I love Shakespeare and I would never have been able to do this and you really and it really just shows the attention to detail that she has and the way that she puts all of the themes together and everything it's just a masterpiece in my eyes (laughs) Yeah, when I was reading it, um, there were a lot of parts where I'm like, ooh, I can see why this is Michelle's favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so other than Shakespeare being a huge part of this book, what like, what immediately drew you to this book? The characters, definitely. I love every single one of them. Um, well, I mean, I don't <laughs> love all of them. Like, if they were real, I wouldn't want to like hang out with all of them, but... I love all of the characters, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. like, I don't support them, <laughs> but I do love them. I love I love them in the book. I love everything that, everything that they bring to the table because they all have, like, like I said, they're all, they all have their very specific typecast and they all sort of live in their own roles because they're so secluded from the rest of society. Mm-hmm. And you really see the way that the lines begin to blur for them, that they don't see themselves as anything other than the characters that they've been portraying for the past four years because they never do anything else. And like their directors and their teachers don't cast them in anything else. So like, what else are they except for the person that's constantly playing Caesar or Macbeth or, I don't know, Tybalt, you know, like, it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It is. It really puts you in, like, the atmosphere as well. I think, yeah. like, I wasn't expecting to love this book. I, I was a little, like, well, nervous. Nervous. What did you give it? What rating did you give it? Um, <clears throat> I gave it five stars. <laughs> Rightfully so, okay? Look, I was worried that I would be like, this is a three-star book. I don't like it. I don't get it. Because a lot of people do give it three stars because a lot of people don't really want to get through all of the Shakespeare in it, Mm -hmm. which I understand. 
But if you can get through it, which I, I think you get used to it. You do. I think, like, the first scene, it starts, and there's a lot of Shakespeare in it. Mm-hmm. Like, they use quote, they quote Shakespeare in, in like, their dialogue. And I was like, wow, Just, like, everyday conversation. It's very pretentious. It's very. Um, but, like, it hits you first, and I'm like, okay, wow. But then it's kind of very well thought out when they like quote Shakespeare yeah. while they're talking. It's not just like, oh, we just want to talk in Shakespeare language. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is like that, but those times that they do it, they're not exactly meaningful, mm-hmm. you know? And the times that they actually really go like hard and they really go in on it and start analyzing it and everything, I think, I think those are the moments that are more meaningful. And being that I am somebody that defends this book no matter what, um, I think that it's easy to get through. Yeah, I agree. Like, I didn't expect to love it, but the second I started reading it, I was very, very attached to the characters. Mm-hmm. I, like, I even messaged Michelle. I'm like, oh my god, please tell me this is what happens. I'm not gonna say. Um, but I was very excited about something, and I was like, please tell me I'm right. And I was so invested, um, and it's very easy to get through. It's what? It's a very fast-paced book. Yeah. There was, like, one we part... We move very quickly, honestly. We exactly. move very quickly through it. There was one part where it was a little slower, but it was only two chapters long. And Yeah, because they're setting up for, like, the, the next half of the book. Exactly. But it's super easy. It's super fast-paced. You get very attached to the characters and the atmosphere that you're put in. It's yeah. very dark academia. Like, this is the first proper dark academia book I read. This is not mine. It's, <laughs> it's probably my favorite genre. Yeah, I know. And, like, it was so well-written. Like, the writing was incredible. Impeccable. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? <laughs> just, like, you're reading, and you're just super drawn to this world, to even characters that you didn't think you'd like. I was I was rooting for them. I was like, ooh, okay. Like, mm, but okay, go you. <laughs> Like, I don't really support your decision, but I'm going to wa- I'm gonna like lean back and I'm going to like watch it all unfold exactly. and I'm going to be invested. And I'm going to be very happy if you, you know, prevail um, in whatever you do. But it was such a cool ride. I was very pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. I yeah. think, um, I also think me and you share uh, a love, a deep love for the character um, Meredith. Yeah, so... I mean, my favorite character in the entire book is Meredith. I think that she's, quite honestly, iconic. She is. She's a legend. I think when I was reading, you t- uh, you told me that your favorite characters are Meredith and Alex. Yeah, Alexander. Alexander. Oh, my God. Also a legend. <laughs> Less of a legend than Meredith, but just that's just because, like, Meredith, tends like, she plays a bit of a bigger role mm-hmm. in the overall plot. Alexander is just there to, you know, be Comedic himself. Relief. Be himself. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when I was reading, I was like, I understood. I understood Meredith more more than Alexander because Meredith is such a strong character and she really, like, sucks you in. And she's such a complex character. And that was the first character I fell in love with. I was like, oh my god, I'm a little, a little a lot in love with her and I want to be her. Yeah, if I had to put, like, myself in this cast, I would, I don't think I'm as iconic as Philippa. Mm-mm. I could never do what Philippa does. Neither. Um, and, like, I would love to say Ren because when I was doing Shakespeare, I was always cast as the ingenue. So, like, that being said, I'm always just like, oh, like, me and Ren. <laughs> um, but, like, let's be honest, I'm, I would probably be Oliver. Oblivious. Knows nothing. Has no idea what's going on. That's me. 
Yeah, but Oliver has a lot of great qualities to him that I Does also... he? <laughs> listen, he was very oblivious, like, painfully so at I get times. so frustrated with him. I do yeah. love him. He is... I love them but all. But I love him, yeah. I love them all, but, like, he is so annoyingly frustrating. And he's kind of, like, the narrator of this book, so you're stuck in his head a lot. And sometimes you just want to bang his head into a wall and say, can you see what's in front of you, please? Right? <laughs> um, but... Yeah, Ren, honestly, was one of my favorite characters. She doesn't play such a big role, but I really like her because I felt connected to her. I, like, I understood her. I was like, I get you. And, like, I feel like Ren's character is more of a quieter type of character where, you know, Meredith is very loud in a way. Not the way she speaks, but her her presence. Yeah, it's very loud. It's very there. Um, She's very present. Exactly. Uh, and I love that. She's amazing. I also loved Ren, though, because she, she was like, Oliver described her as having like a childlike glee. And I really, really like saw that. So I have, I have very specific thoughts on Ren mm-hmm. because of something that I once uh, saw the author say. And ever since then, it completely changed my entire perspective on Ren. And I have to speak about it, but it, it's a spoiler. And we're so going to we'll talk about that later on. Section. Um, but yeah, I do have a lot of thoughts on Ren. I've also spent a lot of, a lot of time analyzing this book, so. Yeah, um, you guys can't see it because you're not here, but we have a copy, Michelle's copy of If You Were Villains. My very well-loved copy that I've had for so long now. (laughs) So heavily annotated Mm -hmm. and tabbed. Like, how many tabs do you have there? Over 200? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is your fifth read. Yeah, it's also, I mean, heavily written in (laughs) Listen, it's a well-loved book, and, like, I'm never getting rid of it, so, like, why wouldn't I? That's how I feel about writing in books in general, but that's not the topic exactly. of this episode. All right. Um, anything else that you have to say about your feelings about the book I before we go to spoilers? don't think I can say anything else without spoiling <laughs> anything. All right. So, moving on to the spoiler section. Yes, if you have not read the book and you would like to, please don't be spoiled. It's yeah. so it's so good and like you want to be surprised. You want to you want to get to the end and be like, "What?" You like, really do. You really do. It's, it's a such ride. a fun time and it's so quick and easy to get through. I really recommend it. Um, yeah, but so now we move to the spoiler section. And, Michelle, do you want to do the honors of giving an overview about what happens in the book? (laughs) Sure. So, as I said, we start off 10 years in the future where Oliver is about to be released from jail um, after he served his sentence for a whole decade. And Detective Colborn, who is the one that arrested him, finally asks to hear the full story. And we see that in the beginning of their fourth and final year, they have been cast in Julius Caesar and Richard has been cast as Caesar, as he always does ca- mm-hmm. uh, get cast in these types of roles. Um, and James has been cast as Brutus. And pretty much I think that's the most, like, the, I think those are the main important roles that get cast. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. Um, and from that point on, there's just a whole bunch of tension starts to explode between all seven of them. Um, there's this whole night on Halloween where they... Um, Oh, I love the, I love the entire like concept of the way that they do Halloween, where they cast 
um, people in Macbeth, but nobody knows each other's parts. They just have to show up. Yeah, they can't tell anyone, and they have yeah. to learn their parts in secret. Yeah, they just so learn their lines on their own. Like, they know their parts. Nobody else knows, like, each other's. They just have to learn the scenes that they're given, and then they show up, and they see who's been cast as who. And it turns out that James, who has been wanting a bit more variety, gets cast as Macbeth, which is usually somebody that Richard plays. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where I think I see the beginning of all the tension. That's where I think Richard started to be very, very, like, antagonistic towards James. Yeah, they say that he's always been a bit of an asshole, but this is where it starts to go more from being an asshole to being fully abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a whole fight on Halloween where he tries to drown James and everybody just kind of, like... I mean, like, nobody knows how to handle it, so they just sort of act like it never happened. And then everything starts to come to a boiling point on one of the nights that they do Caesar after they've opened, and they have this huge cast party, and Richard has started to be physically abusive to each person that he can get his hands on, basically, during shows, during rehearsals, anytime that he can. And during this cast party that happens later on that night, there's a huge fight that breaks out and Richard and Meredith, who are together, break up because Richard just assaults her in front of everybody. calls her horrible, horrible names. Yeah, I mean, really, like, it gets really ugly. And then so Meredith runs upstairs, Oliver goes after her to comfort her, and they end up sleeping together. A few hours later... Philippa comes to Meredith's room and tells them that they have to go down to the lake. And what do they see but Richard's body floating in the water yep. with his face smashed in, barely breathing. They, they think that he's dead. Yeah, they all thought he was dead until I think, was it James? Alexander. Alexander. Alexander yeah. was like, oh no, he's actually breathing. Yeah. And so they all sort of like don't know what to do um james tries to rush in and save him and alexander is the one that says wait a second think about this like think this through like do you think that anything is going to change like look at his face like something's clearly happened to him and they make the decision to just let richard die and he drowns it's a collective decision that all of them take part in and i Mm -hmm. would just like to mention that ren is richard's cousin yeah and Meredith is his ex-girlfriend, and all of these seven kids have been together for, for four years. past four years. And they all decided, no, we're going to let him die. Yeah. So Richard's death is officially, like, the police get involved, obviously. Richard's death is officially ruled as an accident. And it seems that, like, things are moving on, but obviously, like, the guilt begins to weigh very heavily on all seven of them and different, uh, all six of them. There's only six of them now. Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. Um, So everything starts, so the guilt starts to weigh very heavily on all six of them. And you see the ways that everything changed. The police get back involved because they realize that the times don't add up and that this could possibly be a homicide. Mm -hmm. And as they move on into their next show of the semester, which of the second semester, which is King Lear, everything sort of starts to change. James is cast as the villain, which is exactly what he's wanted. But he starts to go a bit off the rails, a bit, a bit off the rails. Um, And he starts to get a bit violent with certain characters. And I think Oliver, Oliver and Meredith, Meredith <laughs> Oliver are and together Meredith. now. Oh yeah, Oliver and Meredith are together, and James starts to get a little bit, a little bit possessive, a little bit physical with um, both of them at certain points. And basically, then all of this comes out where during one of their nights that they're doing King Lear, Oliver discovers the boat hook 
that was used to smash Richard's face in, and it's covered in blood, and it was under Richard uh, James's mattress. And so he realizes that James is the one that killed uh, Richard. He gets the confession out of him, and Meredith, who realized this uh, the night before, has brought the police in during the show. So they they manage to finish the the show. And after the curtain falls and everything and everything seems to be finished and done with, Detective Colborn comes over to James and asks if he's ready to tell the truth. And Oliver takes the fall. Yep. Um, a huge, huge, huge part of this entire book is the relationship and the friendship uh, between James and Oliver. Yes. Um, from the beginning... I was just, I was, I was begging Michelle to tell me that they're together. Tell me this is their love story. Tell me that they end up together. Because from the start, you see how kind of possessive of each other both James and Oliver are. Yeah. And I think that their friendship and their feelings towards one another play a huge role in a lot of the events that happen. So right before that final play that they, um, yeah, they perform, Oliver and James kind of both realize their feelings to one another. And then... After Jay, uh, Oliver gets arrested. Yes. So Oliver spends the next 10 years in prison because he took the fall for it. And you realize that all that the remaining members of the group have sort of just like split up. Meredith doesn't speak to Oliver anymore. Legend can't blame her. Um, she knew that James killed Richard and she was going to have him arrested. And she was with Oliver at the time and she truly fell in love with him. And then Oliver just takes the fall. And it's so heartbreaking for Meredith. Um, Alexander disappears. Goes <laughs> off. <laughs> he just goes off. <laughs> I love him so much. Um, Philippa is the only one that continues to visit Oliver consistently throughout 10 years. And James was visiting him. And then six years into his service, um, he doesn't anymore. Yeah. Um, and then, so finally, when Oliver gets out of prison, he tells this entire story to the detective, and he says to Philippa that he just he just needs to see James, and it, and Philippa reveals that James killed himself four years ago. And yeah. <laughs> now, when I tell you that I asked Michelle, "Do you think I will cry in this book?" and she told me she has the audacity. To tell me, no, I don't think you will. No, because I cried. <laughs> but, like, I was also super attached. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was still thinking that you weren't going to like this book. But from the beginning, I'm like, please tell me this is a thing. Okay? Because I I was like, this can't, this won't be a thing. It, they wouldn't yeah, be. Yeah, but I couldn't change my answer because then you would see that something was going to happen. I know, but I can't believe that you're like, no, you're not going to cry. And then cue to me, 2 a.m., the night I finished, like, this book, crying my eyes out. I sent you, okay, I sent you a voice recording. And what did Michelle answer? Please, 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 Michelle. I sent her a voice recording of just me laughing. <laughs> I was bawling my eyes out. I was incapable of breathing. I was like, I can't could barely it. understand the words that she was saying. And I just respond, like, laughing my ass. Because, like, I'm, I still cry whenever I read this book, but I'm so used to it. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's heartbreaking. Like, I don't cry from the shock or anything. I cry because I'm so attached to these characters. Yeah, the pure emotion that you feel in yeah. those moments. Um, But don't get discouraged because... Oh, yeah, the final twist. Yes, <laughs> the final twist that really just like completely take like takes you out like the first time that i read it i was like 
What? And I was alone reading this. Oh, my okay? God. Okay, I had no one to talk to about it. I haven't had anyone to talk to about it since, until you came I would along. lose my mind. Um, so, finally, so, Richard, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Oliver reunites with Meredith after he gets out of prison. They slowly try to rebuild whatever relationship they had when they were still in school together. And then suddenly, Philippa decides that it's a good idea to send Oliver a package that has two letters. One of them is James's suicide note, and the other is directly addressed to Oliver. And on it is a passage from Pericles, which is something that, um, the same passage that James once recited to Oliver during a very special moment that the two of them had together when they were um, just like on vacation together, uh, before the book even started. But you hear about it a lot. And in this specific passage, Oliver realizes that it's the moment where Pericles is stranded on an island and the only way that he is able to get out and get back to his life is by asking for help. Mm-hmm. And so Oliver decides that the coincidence, the, the, the way, the time that James told him, like, it's too, it's all too much. So he spends like basically hours looking for every article that he can find about James's suicide and it's discovered that his body was never found. So that's where the book ends. Huge open ending. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very upset. Very upset because I'm like, no, don't, don't play with my heart like this. But Michelle then enlightened me about her theory. Yeah, so I have on the back of my book, like, my whole theory written on the bottom of the page, where basically it's just, it's a lot of, like, I'm not going to go into everything. There's just a lot of details that have caught my eye each time that I've read it and will continue to catch my eye, I'm sure. Basically, I think that James faked his own death and wrote that passage to Oliver to remind him of the time that they spent together on the beach where James first recited the passage. And I think that he's waiting for Oliver to come find him. And now my heart could rest and I can be okay because that ending means that there might be like a happily ever after. As And as someone who is obsessed with romance, especially their romance in this book, I can breathe. <laughs> so I don't think that it's more of a happily ever after. I think that James is considerably fucked right he now. Is. Like I think that he has a lot of guilt you know guilt depression he really starts to go off the rails and when they start doing king lear in their um in their second semester when he's cast as the villain as edmund and then you see when in the few times that you see when he visits oliver he's not even the same person anymore he's completely changed Mm -hmm. you know the only thing that he can even think that will keep him alive at this point is oliver I think, like, for me, I want to be hopeful. I want to, like, believe that once he removed himself from the environment that he was in, from the situation, and went to a place that was dear to him and Oliver, that he could have gotten the help that he that he needed, that he could have started um, getting better and waiting for Oliver to come find him. And I think that's what I want to believe, just because I need to, I need to hold on to I the threads when of we good. Were, I remember when we, like, when you first started reading the book and we were talking about it, and you said that you liked Richard in the beginning, and I was very surprised, and I remember we were having the conversation about why, and you were saying, well, you know, like, they described as this very, like, tall, really handsome, like, dark-haired guy, and he's with Meredith, and they seem to be, like, this power couple, and you were very invested in that. And for like two seconds. And I think like 
I think that's one of the reasons because because you are a romance reader, Mm -hmm. right? And I think one of the things that I love so much about this book is that it really removes a lot of the romance from very harmful tropes and like Richard's incredibly dominating personality and very toxic begins to get very very abusive physically emotionally to everybody involved yeah and I feel like that's something that you don't really see because like a lot of romance books they use that sort of personality as this thing that's something to be like desired because what do they do they take they then take a girl and then he completely changes but only for her Mm -hmm. and I think that something that Emma Rio did amazingly is she took that and she said like she said the fact that he the fact that he's with Meredith doesn't change anything. He's still a complete abusive asshole. Exactly. I think that like I I didn't know what to expect going into this book. So I kind of latched onto the things that were familiar to me. So yeah. the fact that like Richard and Meredith were a couple and they were like, "Oh my god, yes, power couple." But then I fall more in love with Meredith and then I fall more out of love with Richard and then you figure out that he's a complete asshole. Um, it really changes your perspective. And throughout the entire book, though, like, you really learn to appreciate the small moments that you get where you really see the characters. Yeah. You really see them and their emotions in a very raw and intense way. Like, I got really attached to them all. So I was basically in love with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Meredith, Oliver, James, and they're not good people. Like, they do a lot of shitty things. No. Um... But They're you can't help people. but care about them. You can't help but be like, I want you guys to succeed. I want yeah. you guys to be happy. So pausing one second about this whole character discussion, I want to talk about something that's like very prevalent in this book, which is Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> You're waiting for this. You're I'm waiting. so excited to talk about this. Okay. Okay, go um, for it. Well, when I was in high school, I took a Shakespeare class and as one of my English electives, and we talked about three out of the four plays that are heavily discussed in this book, which are Julius Caesar, Macbeth, uh, Romeo and Juliet, and King Lear in that order. And I did every one of them but King Lear. This was my first introduction to King Lear, actually. So, like, I was a bit... I was a, I was a little bit more lost the first time that I read it. And then after I finished the book and I studied more of King Lear, I still haven't read it, but... That's okay. It's you have fine. time. It's fine. Maybe on your seventh reread. Probably. Um... <laughs> So now I understand it a bit more and I know the story, but I think that the way that ML Rio decided to put each of the characters in, like, I've seen a lot of, the criticism that I've seen the most about this book is that it's very predictable. And to that, I have to say that the book is meant to be predictable. If you know Shakespeare yeah, very well. The book is basically Shakespeare, he thrives off of archetypes and one of the main things that you always know about going into a Shakespearean play is that if it's a tragedy, everything ends in death. And if it's a comedy, everything ends in marriage. And this is a tragedy. Every play that they talk about is a tragedy, right? So it shouldn't be surprising when certain characters die or certain characters get betrayed or certain characters almost die. And then something, Alexander's drug overdose, which just happens randomly. Wow, yeah. That, was, that I feel was like I was like why did that have to happen? <laughs> I feel like it was more for his character than for the plot. Yeah, but like like it's one of those things that you're just like, huh? Like that happened out of nowhere. <laughs> I love Alexander. But, um, 
Anyway, um, so to those people that say that this book is very predictable, I have to say that most Shakespearean plays are predictable and this book is a Shakespearean play but written in prose. That's the whole point of it. These characters are meant to fall into every single trope that they have played for the past four years and some of them have been playing them for even longer than that and like it's not supposed to be something completely new. I mean it is a very new concept. I've never read a book quite like this before neither have i um and i don't think there are any other books like this if there are someone let me know i would love to read more um but it is i mean to me the only thing that's like truly truly shocking is the end where you discover that james could possibly be alive Mm -hmm. that's really the only thing that really like when you look at everything and the way that this book is structured and the way that it's meant to be a sort of um Shakespearean tragedy written in prose it's that is pretty like James's possible fake death fake suicide is the only thing that's really like new because everything else the betrayals the debt like Richard dying incredibly predictable you know that he's the one that's gonna die again if you're very well versed in Shakespeare yes (laughs) I mean well like yeah that's why I'm saying like when you look at when you look at it compared to like that's why when people say that this book is so predictable I'm like, well, yeah, like, that's kind of the point. Like, I think, for me, what I noticed when it comes to, like, Shakespeare and his role in this play, it was more about how, like, these seven, I call them kids, because in my head, like, sure, they're 22, they're my age, you know? They're still, like, they're still young. They're still very susceptible. So when they're going to college to learn, and all they do every single day for four years, consecutively, constantly, incessantly, is study Shakespeare and the emotions that Shakespeare has in his play. And these are not easy emotions. They're very hard. They're very heavy. They're betrayal, grief, sadness. You know, it's it's very, very difficult uh, emotions that they're dealing with all the time. And they kind of lose, I think, the line between fiction and reality. And that plays a lot in this book. Like, it's been four years of just constantly breathing and being inside this like play world that Shakespeare created and it's not an easy world to be in so I I 100% understand how like it just kind of takes over their mind it also gets to the point where like because they're only cast in the roles that their directors have seen them excel in and they don't have the chance to do anything new or anything different they start to feel like I'm nothing outside of this Mm -hmm. because how much how much time do they get in the real world after they leave for a break or for like summer vacation or whatever they don't see themselves as anything but their own characters that they play because in the end Shakespeare thrives off of archetypes right right? so you have I'm gonna use like an ingenue for example because those are one of my favorite characters you have Ophelia from Hamlet who dies you have like if you haven't read it sorry like um Juliet she's also an ingenue she also dies you know Cordelia she dies in King Lear and then you look at more of the temptresses on the other side and there's Lady Macbeth who's like girl boss for life yeah but I mean she does die also but you know she's more of she's more of an active role whereas the ingenues possess more of a passive role and then you look at the difference between Meredith and Wren it's so stark like you could see it so like clearly like how they they always juxtapose Meredith and Wren and I think that's yeah. so interesting and it really like it plays well in the in the in the story but it's so amazing how like you can see like Wren really is like her personality is so similar to the characters she plays 
and like it kind of like sets up this whole like how all these these seven like adults kids I don't know how to call them but like these seven students they are so heavily influenced by their characters and like it's like it's so insane to see it you constantly see it in every single step of the way like with Richard who's always cast as like you know the tyrant and like he gets murdered by um James James because he kind of like incited him or like he angered him I wrote something down oh my god I have to find it because that part really stuck out to me um when Alexander sees Richard that he's still breathing Mm -hmm. and James who's the one that killed him killed him not killed him but But at that point he's not dead he thinks that he's dead right nobody knows that he's still alive he injured him he James brought him to the point of almost dying yeah and, like, Alexander is the one that sees that he's still um, breathing. And he says, and so automatically James rushes to try and save him. And Alexander's like, stop, like, wait. And James is the one that's saying, like, he's not dead. We have to save him. But he's the one Who that injured him. him. Yeah. And that, like, I think that James's morality is something that's so interesting to think about. Because he has a huge hair complex. Let's mm-hmm. just, he's the pinnacle hero and he needs to save everybody even when he's the one that's doing the hurting i think the contradiction between james and richard because it like before richard's death there was this whole like i don't know like rivalry like low-key rivalry between james and richard and i think it was it was so interesting because richard is like like you said like the tyrant but also in his real life he was super you know, um, obnoxious. He was domineering. super... Yeah, he domineering. He was the dominating personality of the group, I would mm-hmm. say. And a lot, like, the group, I feel like the group at first, you know, they knew how he was, but throughout the semester, he got, like, progressively worse. Yeah. And it was to a point where he started, like, physically abusing both James and Meredith. So I feel like the the fact that first James was the one who, like... You know, he was provoked, so James attacked um, Richard. But then he's the one who wanted to save him, even though he's the one who was abused. Is says a lot about his character. And I think it also, like you said, hero complex at its max. Like, he I can't even to save imagine. everybody. It also shows why he hates Meredith so much. James hates Meredith. Because, I thought that it was because of jealousy. Um, I also think that he's very disgusted by her because he can't... The way that I look at James, first of all, James is incredibly, and, like, it's right there on the page, he's incredibly misogynistic Mm -hmm. because of his hero complex. Like, that is a huge factor in it. Like, he believes he is the one who should save save the woman, and the woman should be, like, a damsel in distress. Which is why he likes Ren so much. And Meredith, meanwhile, wants to play a more active role in her own life, which she 100% should. And James is disgusted by her because she shows everything that she wants, and she's not ashamed of everything that she wants. She's not ashamed of anything that she wants. And James is like, and James is disgusted by it. And the only time, the only time that he actually sees anything in Meredith that he likes is when it's related to Oliver. But I also like, in in my head, it was like, okay, I get it because it's like jealousy. I don't condone it, but I get it. It's jealousy. He's like so so jealous of Meredith. So the thing that really like keeps me from like feeling bad for him about it. Because like, yeah, I get it. Like James is jealous, but also he hated Meredith way before anything happened between her and Oliver. He hated Meredith from freshman year, he mm-hmm. said. Right. 
like there's a whole thing where Oliver's speaking to James about it and Oliver says in his head like like James had always thought that Meredith was like disgusting because she tried to make a move on him in freshman year and he said no and the way that he says it like the way that he tells the story is so disgusting yeah like he says oh well Meredith tried to get me because and she just assumed that I wanted her because everybody wants her like She's just going after somebody that she thinks is cute. Like, why do you have to be so gross about it? I think it circles back though to the hero complex, to his like of needing he to has be the a hero one. complex. I'm just saying, like, I like I, the part of that the part that makes me not feel bad about James feeling so jealous mm-hmm. over Meredith and Oliver is, is because word. he'd always hated Meredith okay. for no reason. That's true. I think like the relationship between Oliver and Meredith kind of made James very upset. Yeah. And it kind of made him even more uncomfortable. So, like, he just... He basically killed one of their... Like, Richard. Uh, And now, like, the one guy that he's absolutely in love with. Like, I don't think in love is the right word. He's just, like, obsessed with. They're very infatuated with each other. Very infatuated. Is, like, with the girl that he... He does not like. He hates her. Um, And... So James and Ren have this little flirtatious thing, whatever. I don't think, it, like, it amounts to a lot. No, they sleep together. They do, but, like, it's very, I don't know. I felt like it wasn't... It's very cheap. Like, like I said, I really think that, I really think that James is doing the whole, like, manic pixie dream girl. Because, like, let's be honest, Ren almost has, like, not a single personality trait, except for the fact that she's, like, quiet and, like, me. And she's and Richard's she's cousin. And she's, like, she's very, like, she's adorable. Every time, yeah. like... He explains her, like, Oliver explains her with, like, a childlike wonder. Everything about her is childlike, and Mm -hmm. it's so, like, she's, like... She's she's, so small. She's so, like, she's so quiet. She's so cute. She's so, like, introverted. Um, And I I feel like James looked at Ren as more of a concept than a human. Mm -hmm, I agree. And I feel like, I feel like that's, like, on purpose. I feel like Ren was purposely written that way. I think so, too, because, like, also, I think it just pushes forward how, like, different Meredith is. Yeah. I think, like, I think this book is so charged with a lot of emotion. Yeah. I mean, let's, to get back to Shakespeare. Yeah, we always get back to Shakespeare. We can't not. Um, so one of the, one of the main things that they like to teach the students, um, that are learning Shakespeare is that they shouldn't be scared to show their emotions, um, because that's all Shakespeare is. Shakespeare is run by emotions and he lives in extremes, whether it's like extreme joy or sadness or like grief or lust, whatever it is, it's always an extreme. And um, one of like the main things that always stuck out to me is this one line where one of their teachers say, um, what does she say? <laughs> um, basically, like you're, um, you should always use like half of your own emotions mm-hmm. to basically mesh with your character's emotions i love that i thought that too i also there's one quote that hit me the hardest i think when they were when uh, oliver was talking um about like the night that i think richard is dead died or something um he said that they were in the cult of excess drink and drugs sex and love pride and envy and revenge nothing in moderation and Mm -hmm. that is like that's that's all you need to know. That's the entire book. That's the the entire like extent of their feelings. Like, there everything is in, like, it, everything is so overwhelming and so big and so strong and so powerful that all their feelings were never like moderated. They were never balanced. Mm-hmm. Everything they felt was pushed to the edge, 
And I think that's one of the biggest driving points in this book. The biggest theme for me is the way that their college basically was like a cult. Mm -hmm. Like they spent four years completely removed from society and they were only studying Shakespeare. And like there's only seven of them, you know, like this college is a very competitive college where like you can start off in your first year with 20 kids and then by the end of the first year if you don't if the if the people that are in charge of the teachers don't think that you're good enough if they don't think that you've made the cut you get cut off and you like that's it like you're not in this school anymore you're essentially expelled mm -hmm. you know so you have to be at the top of your game each year each second of your life you know, so of course you're going to completely immerse yourself in Shakespeare and you're not going to think about anything other than that. So, and when you're only playing the same roles, when you're only putting yourself in this one box, it's very easy to assume that, of course, like the lines are going to get blurred. Mm -hmm. And like Oliver has a fantastic line about it where like he says that they were able to look at everything that they did and they were able to just completely ignore it because it was done for the sake of their art. Like, to me, that's where that's where everything in the book sort of ties together, mm -hmm. you know, because the entirety of their lives were done to succeed in this world. And like, if you know anything about the arts, no matter what field you're in, whether it's painting or dance or theater or anything, it's incredibly, incredibly competitive. And so when it comes down to I need to do this incredibly horrible action in order to succeed in my field, I will do it. And when you're spending so long in this world where these actions happen on a daily basis as they do in Shakespeare's plays, it doesn't seem that wild. Yeah, I think that is also something that's very prominent in dark academia in general, where they would do anything for success to be the f number one in their class, to be number one in their field. Um, and I thought it was so well done. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed. <laughs> so, I love this book so much. So I feel like after we've tried, at least, to unpack <laughs> what this book is about, I don't yeah. think we've we can ever successfully um, convey how amazing this book is. So, yeah. like, if you are still here and you have not read it, please do. Do yourself a service and do it. Mm -hmm. So before we let you guys go, um, we're going to give you guys, well, Michelle is going to give yeah. you and myself a bunch <laughs> of recommendations for books that are similar or books that you should read if you liked If We Were Villains. Yeah. So um, even if you're not a huge fan of Dark Academia, I do have some recommendations that fit the vibes and fit like the aesthetics and fit the themes. Um, for Dark Academia, I do have to say, please read The Secret History by Donna Tart. This is also one of my favorite books of all time. It's slower paced. I would say essentially nothing happens. Maybe that's not selling you, but <laughs> this book is so good. It's really, I mean, it, this, I would say that the secret history is like the birth of dark academia, at least in my head. It was, it's like, it's a modern classic for a reason. It's also about this group of very, very close friends. They're rarely, they're not even friends. <laughs> they're just, you know. Peers. They're, it's so, it's just, it's very hard to explain. Um, basically, um, they kill one of their own. That's not a spoiler. The entire book is uh, basically about them killing this friend and it's about why they did it. And you find out from the beginning that they're the ones, that, like it was, it was a group effort. It was a fun group activity. They Yay. just killed this guy, right? 
And the like the entire book is them like the first half is leading up to them killing him. And then the second half is the way that they all essentially get fucked in the head over it. So very similar to if we were villains. Yeah, but um, slower paced and not Shakespearean, not Shakespearean. Instead, they study um, they study the classics. So like they study like ancient Greece and ancient. They're like very intellectual, very like academic. You know, they don't. They like one of them knows like like twenty languages or something. He's <laughs> dream. Yeah, um, but they're all like dead languages, so like nobody like he can't do anything with it. Sounds very pretentious. <laughs> they, it's so pretend. It's so pretentious. And actually, the secret history is supposed to be a satire on the elitism and dark academia. Whereas, if we were villains, takes itself completely seriously as it should. They're both very good. I love the secret history so much. Again, one of my favorites. And that's my first recommendation. If you're looking for books, um, this is in no way dark academia, but if you're looking for books that really center on themes of obsession and um, like really intense love and anger and just like every single emotion heightened up to like a thousand plus, um, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, which if you love the dark academia aesthetic, read this book. I know that Liraz has not very great opinions on this book. I didn't even finish it. I got like halfway through, but the writing is incredible. The writing is incredible. Um, I just hated every single person in that book. Yes, but that's the point, babe. <laughs> I know, but like you, s- mm. okay. I think I think that like the reason that that like you don't like Wuthering Heights is not a romance. It's about these characters that completely just like. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It's this really intense, quote-unquote, love story it's that's basically story. an obsession yeah. between Kathy and Heathcliff and the way that they destroy each other's lives because they don't want the other to be happy unless they're with them. But when they are together, they're also unhappy. But at least they're unhappy together. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's it like, I feel like people that say that this is a love story they they have it wrong they missed the point and i understand i understand why you wouldn't like this but i do i get it because you like a romance and you like a love story like i wasn't going into it for the romance i was going into it for well because it's a classic and everyone's like oh my god you should read it but also because i wanted to explore that genre a little bit more so i wasn't expecting a, a romance you know as like like the ones i read usually but it wasn't even that. It was just every single character was so petty. It hurt. Like, there was not a moment where I was like, mm, okay, I get that. That's an understandable reaction or action to what happened. Nope. Everyone was just so, like, again, over the top that's petty. That's the point. <laughs> that's the no, I know. No, like, again, if you don't like those types of characters, then you're not going to like this book. Also, you need to have a bit of patience with this book. Um, it's it's not like a, it's not a super accessible classic. It's a little dense, I would say. Also, the secret history is very dense. Like, nothing happens, and that book is, like, 600 pages or 500 pages. Like, it takes a bit, but it's so worth it to get to the end, and I say that for both books. Like, if you don't like super unlikable characters that just do stuff for the sake of being unlikable, then, like, you won't like Wuthering Heights. But just if you're into a thriller, Gillian Flynn. <laughs> That's it. Gone Girl. One of the best books ever written. I still also need to get to them. funny as hell. Sharp Objects. Not funny. One of the best books ever written, though. I love those two. Um, Dark Places isn't my favorite, but Gillian Flynn. Huge recommendation if you're into thrillers. Okay. I think that's plenty of recommendations yeah. <laughs> for now. All right. So I think I we're think, done for yeah, this I think episode. That's it. 
Next episode, we're going to read one of my favorite books, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. Um, it's a rom-com. It's adorable. It's going to be so fun. Yeah. It's going to be my first time reading it. Mm-hmm. This is my first time reading it also. Um, not your first. No. No. This second. is one of your favorites. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is going to be my first time reading it. I'm excited. I'm excited to see if I I'm like excited it. too. All right. So stay tuned and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. Fully booked. Read into it with Michelle Amar and Liraz Levy. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. Call Audioversity.